Welcome to the podcast of the Urban Mystic. This is season two where we meet with fellow deconstructors, fellow journeymen and journeywomen to hear the story of their first experience of God, calling to ministry, deconstruction and present journey. Social media gave me this opportunity to work through or process some of these doctrines and naively, I guess, I just assume like, well, I'm I'm not really, just because I'm deconstructing and I'm changing my views on some of these doctrines, that doesn't make me a bad person. And so I would just share things sometimes online. And one of the things I shared, which ended up getting me in trouble, was I wrote, all paths may not lead to something like this. All paths may not lead to Jesus, but Jesus will travel any path to find you. So I was called out as if, oh, so Julie, you believe all paths lead to heaven. Any religion, all the Buddhists and the Hindus and the Catholics get to go. I mean, even they were, we were even, our church was even anti-Catholic. All the Mormons, all the Jehovah's, they all get to go to heaven. Like, well, well, that's not what I said in the post, but don't you, you know, don't you agree that God, if God is infinitely intelligent and infinitely loving and infinitely resourceful he could figure out a way to open up the heart of anyone. the good old parable of the one wandering sheep and the willingness to go to the ends of the earth to find and rescue that one sheep yeah it's a, a little known part of the greek <laughs> translation that it was a christian sheep not a buddhist sheep <laughs> it was there in the so subtext funny. yes <laughs> Well, but, you know, before all this, I had to get through Calvinism and Arminianism and all of that, too. And that's another thing, because, you know, we have a lot of, I think that the teachings of the church were highly Calvinistic in nature. So it's, there's only a certain number that are actually chosen, which it would always confuse me. It would be like, well, why are we sharing the gospel if X amount are chosen? And that's the only ones that are going to be. So that, that was very I had to work through that too. It's like, that doesn't make sense. I always thought that the notion of the 144,000 was a particularly small investment given the vast numbers of humanity. <laughs> oh, yeah. So then, that, so the biggest, so the main thing, surprisingly, that got me axed was in, gosh, I don't remember, uh, I feel like it was 2015, maybe. I start a Bible study began from, um, it was an online actually study that a, the, one of the professors at the college began on what does the Bible say about homosexuality? And that had always bothered me from the beginning. That did, never made sense to me why they, a, a gay person would not be able to be a Christian, really, if they, had, if they lived out their, the life that they wanted to lead, they had to be celibate. They had to be a celibate person to be a Christian. And I thought, well, gee, I, that, doesn't, that doesn't sound right to me, but if the Bible says it, the Bible says it. And so I went into this Bible study, and the um, professor is a non-affirming Christian, which means he believes the Bible does prohibit uh, gay relationships, love, marriage. And, but he did a really good job with the Bible study and presented the non-affirming arguments as well. And I kept, I was sharing online 
this is what I'm learning. What do you, you know, what do you guys think about this? What do you guys think about that as I'm going through it? So, you know, it was all fine as I was going through it. Nobody held that against me. But at the end of the course, I realized I was no longer persuaded that the Bible prohibited gay marriage and love. And I became what's called an affirming Christian. That that was it. That that got me. That was the last straw for those who were apparently following my posts and the word got out. I was talked about at church even even, you know, at this time, my husband and I really weren't even going to church for various Did they actually do the talk about you from the, from the front scenario? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. And what's so strange about this, like I said, my husband weren't even going to the church at this time, and the pastor had already left the, the church. Or, but we were friends with the new pastor, too, after that. But, but yeah, I kind of got reprimanded and warned and things throughout time and this again this I, I should point out this is also during our 2016 elections I had there was a boy so much polarity began around that time and yeah so I I was very let's just say disillusioned and disappointed in my fundamentalist Christian the non-American I can I can love and respect you either side of the fence that you fell on but if you fell on a particular side I, I would find it a little bit harder <laughs> Yeah, I found I, I just was not and my husband's Republican and we and I have always been Republican. We grew up in a conservative town. So but I was not on board with this particular candidate. And so so I did share a few things of, you know, of that nature online with my social media as far as come on, Christian brothers and sisters, you you know, look at this situation with this character trait and look at that situation and and all the pushback I got was very confusing to me it's really quite confusing it didn't make sense I'm like is this the G if you if you're Jesus follower I this isn't does not make sense to me that you would be justifying his behavior this candidate's behavior I mean I understand policy differences but to justify to go so far as to justify someone's behavior and, you know, and, you know, even claim that this is a Christian candidate and whatnot. I didn't make sense to me. So that got me. A There's bit any number of non-Americans that look in on the situations. I just go, what the fuck guys, what the fuck? That's when I got, that's when I got the um, letter from, I eventually got a letter from my old friend and pastor and his wife and, said basically you're no longer a christian you're no longer a sister in christ you are following worldly ways you've lost your lot you've lot you've left your uh walked away from your first love which is jesus you've um you're being deceived by the devil and until you repent and turn away from these 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 new doctrines these false teachings that you're promoting which was the, the two that they really mentioned is the, uh, my, my affirming LGBTQ affirming um, position and my more inclusive um, understanding of the love, unconditional love of God, that, that God's got it all figured out and that we are all on a, a, this journey 
on different paths that will eventually lead us to the divine. That was not okay. That was not okay. That's too much and it crossed the line. So I was shut, cut off from them. Got a letter from a very close friend that was similar wording, cut off from her and her family. Do you mind if I ask quickly, Julie? Um, feel free not to answer if that's too close. What, what is that moment like? As you, as you remember back, you know, you have the letter and open it up and start to read. What's that experience like? What are the emotions that accompany that? Well, actually what happened, I, I called my friend to catch up with her because uh, we hadn't talked for a while and I wanted to just catch up. And uh, during the conversation, she stopped me in, in mid-sentence and said, I can't talk to you anymore. And I said, wait, what, what do you, this is before I got the letter. And I said, wait, what do you mean? You can, what are you talking about? And she, she brought up the inclusivity of my inclusive views and said, you're, not only are you saying everybody can go to heaven now, as if that's our goal in life, we get to go to some mm. heaven, paradise, and I guess live forever on a cloud playing harp. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but not thank, only that, thanks, but you are affirming, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you're affirming, you're affirming simple lifestyles. So, but we couldn't finish our conversation. I was on my way out. Actually, I was kind of getting ready and talking to her at the same time, but she didn't want to finish the conversation. Anyway, I said, look, let's, let's set a time to talk again because we need to have a conversation. But then I ended up getting a letter and of course I responded to her. I, I emailed her, I texted her, I sent her a letter, called her. She, she didn't, she didn't respond. So that was that. That was the end of our, our 15 plus year close friendship. Among others, this happened with a couple other people as well. Because of my two, mm. specifically my two views were just too much, I guess. And I was, and so, you know, if <laughs> they're going off um, the, the, the scripture that says, you know, you need to um, not associate with sinners, Christians who claim they're Christians, and, but they're still participating in a sinful lifestyle. So for me, I was thinking, wait, what sinful lifestyle am I participating in? Even in the letter, even in one of the letters um, my friend had wrote, you seem to be a, you're a loving mom and loving wife and a good friend. You don't seem to be a sinner, yet you approve of sinful lifestyles. So that was enough to consider me, I guess, a non-Christian. And it broke my heart. I mean, I... I can't even tell you. Mm. It was hmm, a good long year of grief, of grieving, because when you, your dear friends that you've known for 15 plus years, that you've raised your kids with, that you've gone on vacations with, spent mm. holidays with, cut you off like that for the, for, for something, for those reasons that you didn't really, I didn't really do anything to them personally. It is like um, the death of a loved one. Sure. So I grieved wow. for a long time, and that's and I started journaling. I do I do enjoy writing, and I started journaling my experiences to kind of process what I was going through and to put it all into perspective for myself because I I just didn't know how to make sense of it, and then. Um, at the end of it, I, I put a book together and I published it. And, and 
that really helped my healing process. There's definitely some processes of deconstruction that that arise from within, you know, when you're evaluating your own attitudes and your own beliefs. But there's there is that other layer, the the layer of rejection, the layer of being cast, you know, firstly put into a box and then, you know, carefully packaged and shunted out. That 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 is actually just a dreadful layer. And I think, you know, it happens it happens quite often. You know, in some in some churches like the one that you were in then, they seem to have that as 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 almost like a public affair, that it's part of it's part of what's done and it's done publicly. And in, in other situations, there isn't something as clear as that, but but the same activity takes place in terms of people being boxed and then rejected and then people don't talk to them. I think as you say, you know, it is painful. It's like the the death of a loved one or just being cut off from someone that means a lot to you. And it leaves a lot of confusing emotions and questions over what and why. Oh, a hundred percent. Boy. Yeah, it was tough. And to be to be uh vulnerable, it was tough on our marriage because it, it was my fault that my husband lost these wow. friendships as well. So wow. it was it was a very, very tough time. I was grieving and struggling with some things with my marriage over it and even my my sons because they had these were their friends as well they grew up with these the kids and fortunately um my the a couple of the kids that were really especially close remained friends with my sons that didn't change so that was very pleasing i was grateful for that because the parents maybe could have said well but at this point um I mean, these were older teenagers. So at this point, the parents were a little more open to like, well, okay, the kids get to make their own decisions. And fortunately, they didn't, they didn't have to lose their, their friendships over it. Okay. Wow. You know, as, as I talk with people who are sort of either starting deconstruction or really starting to gather up some momentum, and then as I reflect on my own journey, sometimes there's this sense of impending doom and there's this almost projection into the future of, wow, you know, if this goes south, would some of these people drop me? Would they stick by me? What would the relationships look like after the kind of, you know, the theological deconstruction? Did, did you have a sense of what was coming? Were you blindsided by these moments? Um, you know, did it kind of come out of the blue or did you really expect, okay, this is coming to a head and the pot's going to boil over? Gosh, you know what? I was that naive. I didn't, I thought for the longest time that my friends knew me well enough to know that I don't just change my mind willy nilly. I had to research, I had to pray. I, this was thoughtful, a thoughtful process. And when I shared, when I would share with my, my, uh, like with my pastor or my friends, I thought, this is this was in the beginning. I stopped kind of sharing, but I thought, oh, they'll actually take into consideration what I'm saying and maybe even change their mind a little bit. The opposite happened. Meanwhile, they were building up this resentment <laughs> toward me, which I did not know. Um, I never would have thought in a million years that they would just cut me off. I didn't think that was coming. So it's a little bit, yeah, blindsided. Sure. So almost a double betrayal is what I hear you describing in some ways. Yeah. There's kind of the, the drop of the, you know, the, the, we can't be friends anymore because of the theological conviction. 
but also the kind of why didn't you guys give me a heads up and say we're heading this way? Well, they did. Um, I, you know, to be fair, there was some warning, like, "Oh, you're gonna, you probably shouldn't be sharing this." It started coming out, so dribbling, you know, little trickles. But I still think that anything. I just thought my closest friends, at least, wouldn't abandon me because our friendship, I thought, was not based on theology or religion. That was based on a history of experiences of living life together why would you just cut off a, a friendship over silly doctrines theology that made no sense to me and it was very heartbreaking and I mean I would have even been so much better if it had been look we can't be as close because I'm just not feeling that connection with you because your theology is really so I feel so different from mine, but of course let's keep in touch. And of course I want to know what's going on with your kids and how they're developing and all, you know, have that connection. That was all wiped away as if the entire family died because I have no, no ability to know what's going on. When I see now, now their kids are getting married and, and, and I'm not there at the wedding. I mean, as a matter of fact, um, one uh, couple remained friends with us and they remained friends with everyone else as well. So when their child got married, we, my husband and I were invited and my, the, the friends that had cut us off did not go to the wedding because they found out, they asked the, them, or did you invite wow. Chris and Julian? <laughs> wow. And they said, we did. And they said, well, we, then we can't you go. Could. And then and they wow. said, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. We're not going to disinvite them. So, yeah. So wow. it's uh, yeah. like a trauma that keeps on giving. Yeah. So just uh, lots of stuff like that. It's just really hard. It's really hard. And, and you know, to take it a step further, the, this, this couple that ended up not going because we were there, um, my husband was very close with the, her husband, and I was very close with her with the wife. Um, and the end of 2019, the husband shot and killed himself. And this is still kind of raw for me. Can hear that. You know, it broke my heart that I could that I couldn't be there for my friend. You know, because I was not a part of your life anymore. And my husband um, went through a lot of conflicting feelings because he had lost that connection with his friend. I mean, they, his friend didn't completely cut him off. They still had some contact, but it was not the same, ever the same after this. And so my husband felt a sense of if I had only been, you know, reached out to him and had can, tried to keep this connection, I could have maybe could have been, different. been there for him and maybe this wouldn't have happened because they were at one point really, yeah. really close. And then when the funeral came around, um, we were all set to go. We were going to go late and leave early because we did not want to feel, make her feel uncomfortable. And 
or, or to, I, we didn't even want her to know we were there. We just, it wasn't about us. You know, we didn't want to, we did want to have that closure. I wanted it for my husband, but the day before the funeral um, or the memorial service, the, um, the wife had um, a friend call us and tell us not to come. So we weren't, we weren't allowed to wow. go. And it broke my husband's wow. heart. Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. It's, 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 I mean, in this in this family, the son of this man, his first phone phone call was to my son. That's how close they are. That's how close we are were to this family, and sure. we still are to the, the son. Wow. Yeah, it's just a mess. It's just a mess. The the, the mm. religion does this to few relationships. It's just mm. sad. Yeah. I there's there's the easy side there's the easy go-to when it comes to religion and the dark side of it and we can look at the fundamentalism and we can look at the war we can look at the crusades you know any number of things in history but really do we ever get around to this side of it and really do we ever get attached the side to it and that's the the loss of these deep intimate close friendships and 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 the potential knock-on effect you know just you know i can i can only imagine that the loss of friendship Mm. And what it means to you, there's an equal and opposite loss in terms of their lives and them having to cut you off. And, and I'm very sure that, you know, in this day and age where men are so, um, so often isolated and where, where men have to rework their identity, the loss of friendships is something that a lot of men just don't know how to process. They don't know how to be open. They don't know how to go, I'm going through a depression or a dark time, or I don't know what to do, or, or fuck, I'm thinking of killing myself. <laughs> you know, men don't get the opportunity to talk about that. And when they do make deep, intimate friendships or close friendships, to have them cut off for a reason like this, there's, a, there's an extra loss. It, it seems to me that the injustice just cuts both yeah. ways. And I, I, I just, I, I hear you and I feel you, and I, I just carry a deep sense of frustration. Yeah, but I, I, I will I will say, um, you know, since we're talking about still of our, these experiences that we have with the divine, um, I was fortunate enough to have an experience to help my closure with the loss of my friend. In that, um, I know it sounds, it, this will be kind, sound kind of strange, but... Um, so I, this was before the, the memorial service. I went to bed early one night, um, still grieving. Um, and mm. started praying and I felt like I needed to say goodbye to mm. my friend. So during my, my prayer time, which is sort of the way I pray is sometimes out loud and sometimes in my head. So I'm there, you know, in my bed and it's dark and I'm praying and I'm kind of reminiscing and going through some of my memories with my friend and talking to him and and specifically. And then Mm. I wanted to get his attention. (laughs) So in my mind, Mm. and the whole prayer time was maybe 20 minutes, but a few minutes in, I, I say, are you even listening to me? You need to, you need to make sure you're paying attention. And I said his first and last name out loud, sort of as a 
joke, not a joke, but sort of just, I don't know. And the moment was like, that's what you would do to get somebody's attention. That's usually the moment someone knows that they're in trouble and they need to perk up and listen. Listening to me and I think that's personal. And then in that exact moment, as if I turned on a light switch, my cell phone, which was on vibrate, lit up. And I, it kind of, it startled me because it was almost like I said his name and I turned on the light switch. So I looked at, at my phone, it was just some random text and I thought, okay, that was weird. Kind of startled me, but then I went back to my prayer time mm. and I'm kind of teary eyed and I, and emotional and, you know, talking to him hmm. about things and sorry about the way things ended up and stuff like as far as our relationship with the family and stuff. <clears throat> and, um, and then in my mind, as I'm praying, I'm thinking, I'm going to, I'm going to say his name again out loud. I'm going to do that. Cause I had it. I had an intuition, which is often mm. when I know for me, when a God thing is happening, I'll just say it mm. that way. I have that sort of a gut mm. feeling something's going on. So I said, I'm going to do that. And this was, you know, like 10 minutes later and from the time, first time I said his name. And so I said it again, kind of, kind of forcefully, forcefully a little bit out loud, his first and last name. And immediately like a light switch, my phone lit up and I checked my phone and it was a text from his son. So now earlier in the day, I had texted his son and so, okay, he was responding to me in that, in that moment, but I could think it's a coincidence or I could say, well, why did it happen the very exact moment I said his first and last name? So I continued praying. I felt a little bit um, more intuitive to what was going on now, but I continued my prayer time and then um, I started uh, feeling like, okay, I got to say goodnight. I got to make this our last goodbye. And in my mind, I was thinking one time is nothing. Two times a coincidence. Three times is, well, that's something. And in my mind, I said, I kept saying as I'm praying, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to say your first and last name to see if you're paying attention. <laughs> Before I close this conversation. And then I said, okay, this is it. And I whispered his first and last name. And immediately my cell phone lit up. And I looked at it and it was another text from his son. So I, I cried a little bit and I felt, but I got to tell you, I felt such closure. I felt such mm. peace mm. from that moment forward. The next day mm. I felt great. I so. just... I, I, I can't explain it. I just felt like that was some kind of God connection. And I don't know if he was listening or if it was God or I don't know, but it was a, it was a God thing. I, that's how I feel about it. Mm. Some of my experiences, some of my experiences are like that. <laughs> mm. Mm. That some that people might, someone might mm. say, oh, well, that was just coincidence. But in in the moment, oh, I know really in my heart, in mm. my gut, in my intuition, I know it. I know it's God. The, 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 the mm. Yeah. 
Julie, I'm, I'm so struck by, um, you know, I'm, I'm not by any means trying to wrap up here, but just in terms of what you've just shared with us, I just wanted to reflect back to you. I'm so grateful for the way in which you've, you've shared so vulnerably and so openly. And it kind of strikes me that I think often, often the people who are deconstructing are lost in the deconstruction a little by the people within the institution. And there's almost a depersonalizing going on. And, and there's a distancing, you know, the, you, you speak very poignantly of the relational disconnect. But I think those actions are sort of premised on that same kind of what the German people were taught about the Jews kind of motif, right? Is people are slightly less than human with what's happening. And, and so, in, in fact, we can just somehow create that distance. Um, and I'm just so grateful for the way in which you share because, you know, I kind of want to say, you know, deconstructionists are people too, right? Um, and I, and I, have, I have this vain hope that, uh, that anybody who stumbles across this recording specifically who would consider themselves on the other side of deconstruction, so, you know, anti-deconstruction and wanting to retain their card-carrying membership and, and whatever it else it is and, and who would hold these positions against people who are asking questions, would be able to hear the experiences that you talk about and the very real pain in your voice that is so clear and the loss and the grieving and would be able to look past that. You know, the things I hear sometimes is, you know, well, you know, that's supposed to make you let go of these silly beliefs or, you know, the threat of that is supposed to stop you from going down this path of deconstruction and just go, no, 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 just release that crap for a moment because it is, it's rubbish. And just focus on the person. There's somebody in this experience going through something real. It's scary. It's unnerving. It's anxiety-ridden for them as they are taking new paths and asking new questions. Um, they're not necessarily doing it for fun. And some of your responses to people who are deconstructing are immensely hurtful. There are people within these experiences. And so I just wanted to say at this point, I'm just so grateful for the way in which you have have spoken, and I'm sure there are many people listening, you know, who will listen in on this, who will find so much resonance, not necessarily in the specifics of your story, but definitely in the the emotional content and the general trajectory. Um, thank you for sharing that with us. For many people as well, there's there's the journey after having left. So, you know, there's that there's that build up. There's that there's that leaving the institution, leaving the building, leaving the community. And a large part of the thinking is often that that to leave the church is to leave God, to leave Christ. You know, if you if you've got a problem with the church, you've got a problem with Christ. Therefore, you don't love God anymore, right? And, and of course, there's a people have different stories in terms of their journey afterwards. And I'm, I, you know, I I feel a bit insensitive asking in the light of the context of what you just shared, but. But but I'm but I'm also but I'm also interested in, in in what's come after for you. You know what is the journey after? Where 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 are you in your spirituality? You know your your relationship with God and those kind of experiences. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, I um I didn't want to get stuck in deconstruction. I through through this experience of experience, I joined some groups online and I see all various ways of dealing with deconstruction. Some get stuck, some become atheists, some become e extreme in some other form or fashion. 
some just become more, you know, there's mystic Christians and there's spiritualists and there's so many different things. I, I guess I'm, um, I'm not, I don't know if I'm, I, I, I'm on the other side, I think, as far as, pretty much on the other side, as far as my grief with the friendships. I kind of get it. I'm kind of at, I feel like I'm at such a, a much better place now. I understand that they did what they felt they had to do based on their religion. So, I mean, I took it personally for a long time. I did go through the loss and the grief, but I feel like they're in the thick of it. They're, that's where they are right now in their religion. And that's, that's, and that, I guess it's okay. It's okay. Um, I'm, I find myself very open to where everyone is on their journey and I need to feel okay with where I am on my journey. And I feel that I don't think I'll ever be on the other side. I think I, I don't really see it as, oh, now I've reconstructed something new. I think I'm always evolving. My spiritual journey is going to be an evolution uh, until until I die and then onward. And <laughs> my soul journey is is an infinite evolution and um when I I guess it was about a year a little more than a year ago I started getting into meditation and learning about that and so I've been practicing meditation now I am allowing myself to be to explore psychic practices, mediumship, and things like that, channeling. I'm allowing myself to um, watch, you know, YouTube videos and things like that of other people who are, who profess to be, have a psychic ability or, or whatever. And I'm open to it. Um, I'm open to these things. I don't feel any guilt or shame or that God is judging me at all. I think that we are meant to have an, an experience and that is being open to other, other people's experiences. I feel like the meditation uh, process has been, um, practices have been good for me. I just try to, during those times, I just try to get in touch with divine oneness. My, my belief, my beliefs, now, uh, I still believe in Jesus. I, um, and, pri- I, and honestly, I, I, I feel like the God, I still feel like the gospel accounts are probably a pretty accurate portrayal of this person, the Christ. Um, I don't, I think that, of course, my church would consider me a heretic and not a Christian, and that's okay. But maybe I don't think of Jesus in the exact same way that think, they think of Jesus. And again, I'm on a journey. I'll be learn. I'll continue learning, and and sort of my views will change over time. But I kind of just feel like um, Jesus is still someone I I talk to, and believe is a divine. Um, I believe we're all divine. I believe what that Jesus really came to show us what God really looks like, and that we're all part of God. That we're all one, really, um, and that we all have the same potential that Jesus. Portrait the display when he was 
human walking the earth. But really, we all have that within us, that divinity within us, and that we're supposed to be tapping into that. So I've also been exploring astral projection and out-of-body experiences. You know, when I was younger, I used to read about angelic intervention, and I loved those books, and they'd be so different, uh, all these different experiences people would have. And um, so I've allowed myself to read up on near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences. So I've been practicing even that now. And I'm really open to, I've, I've you know, to be, to be uh, again, a little bit vulnerable. I have had a couple out-of-body experiences the past, over the past couple months. And, you know, practice lucid dreaming, which, which is what I started practicing initially was lucid dreaming, which can lead into... Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a precursor practice. There's, there's, a, um, there's a guy called Robert Bruce who worked with uh, uh, people that were blind to, to teach them out-of-body experiences. And, and his works are amongst the best. In fact, as I, as I look to the side here, I see one of his books. Um, if you ever come across him, he's a, he's a wonderful author to, to read along those lines. The possibilities are infinite, really. We're just barely scratching the surface right now, I feel like, as, as humanity, anyway, in our evolution of what's possible. It's just... And all of this, so all of this sort of deconstruction a lot after the after well, all the painful part has really opened me up to amazing divine infinite possibilities and so it's it's um it's nice to be out of the box i mean i'm sure i'm still in the bo- in boxes in many ways i mean we're finite humans and that's well we are wrapped within a, a pretty cosmic container so you know <laughs> So some of our boxes are are more limited in terms of social conventions of that, but but there is a bigger box that we're situated in, right? Whether it's the atmosphere of the Earth, which we don't easily escape, at least not physically, you know, there's the, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So in some ways, I, I I think of it as as outgrowing ourselves and outgrowing our boxes, and that's a natural it's a natural process. You, you know, just just correct me if I'm if if I'm wrong, but in in some ways, there's there's um, there's the whole thing of being within the Christian box where so much of it is not about this life. It's about the future. It's about heaven. It's, it's not really living deeply into this life as it is. And one of the things that I feel like I'm hearing reflected in what you're saying is that there's a recovery of this journey, this process in this life that, that is a part of where you're at now. And I, I love that. I, I think it's, this is the life we were made for. This is the, the world that we're on. These are the relational connections that we have. It's in living these out that 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 our meaning, our purpose is actually found. Oh right, oh yeah. I mean, that's in our um, yeah in our church. Definitely, we're this is. Um, although I do think this is a temporary experience, but in our church, it was. <clears throat> we are not only is this a temporary experience. We are just here to kind of uh, get out of here and go to heaven, <laughs> and. Um, <clears throat> I get the sense now that we are meant to live fully into this experience. And perhaps that's even what Christ was trying to tell us to give life abundantly now to live fully into this experience. And that, I mean, I kind of suspect that in, in the, in the grander way, in a big scheme of things that we are God living out human experiences. <laughs> that sounds a little, 
little like something, but my beliefs now are more of that nature of we are sort of on a <clears throat> evolutionary, um, God is on an evolution, I will say, I'll put it this way, I feel like God is on an evolutionary cycle through, through us, through all of them, mm. through all creation. It certainly goes beyond this universe. I, I feel it goes beyond this universe, been beyond what what we can possibly even imagine. But we're we're taking that journey because we all are pieces and fragments of fractals, if you will, of the divine. So I, that's kind of exciting for me to think about. So it, it helps me kind of enjoy a little bit more this human experience because I'm I can take more pleasure in it or more gratitude more grateful more gratitude for it for oh okay it's okay this is what i'm supposed to be doing having this experience and these these relationships and even all the even even all the ugly stuff that's part of it that's part of the experience mm-hmm. i don't I, you know it hasn't been fun some of that but it is part of the experience and it's meant i shouldn't feel i feel like i'm coming to a place where it's like I don't need to feel badly about that or a failure because of that. Cause there was a time where I thought, Oh my goodness, I wasted so much time in the fundamentalist religion and living, you know, drinking this Kool-Aid and whatnot. Was that a big waste of time? Well, no, it really wasn't. It's part of the human yeah, experience. I, I was, I was part of movement that is, is fond of using the language of, of position papers, you know, they carry on writing and defining these position papers. And one of the things I love about chatting to people that, is, that are deconstructing is that they don't hold on to the notion that any of their beliefs are position papers. <laughs> you know, there's very much the understanding of, of evolving and changing beliefs and that actually it's, it's less the beliefs that are important than, than oh, living yes, deeply into sure. life and, and, and living deeply into the relationships that we have. And, and Julie, I wanted to ask, so the, the way in which you describe relationships to me, what I hear from that is that those are incredibly important to you. And I, and I know for myself and a couple of other people that I've spoken to, you know, one of the things about kind of deconstructing away from the church's institution is this whole question of community. And so if I'm right in reading you in terms of the value of relationships for you, what, what does that look like sort of post you know, leaving a church community. What does community look like for you, relationships? Uh, it's been tough, especially now with this COVID year. Um, it's really hard to, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky because I, I, I have family here and I have, I grew up here in this town. So I still have, a, of course, a lot of amazing relationships and get to explore those and continue to grow those relationships. But it was different though, leaving the church community and that hasn't really, that kind of thing hasn't really been replaced by anything else. Of course, it's still early. It's still kind of new, this transitioning that we've that I've been going through, that my family's been going through. And I, and I feel like I've been grateful for the, the social media relationship, the groups, some of the, the deconstruction groups and recovery groups and trying to find some relationships i know it's different it is different when it's online for sure but it's really it's been helpful to thought to um of course we you know i make connections and we talk we can actually talk live too as well you have we have that option so i've created some some relationships like that actually i've met i've met a couple people as well that i met online but 
it's been very helpful to be in those groups and find people that can relate to you and you can relate to them. And we're all at different stages in our, in this process. So it's almost like I can have a mentor and be, and be a mentor at the same time in these groups. So that has been, um, that's been helpful to take the place of some of these things, but yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, something that I still, I, I miss though. The other night, um, I, I want to say like a week ago during my meditation time, I don't know if you've ever heard of this happening before, but when you're, when you're, depending on the type of meditation that you do, I, I, um, so I'm staring at the blackness behind my eyes, your eyes are closed and I'm kind of staring and, and just, uh, trying to concentrate and focus on one uh, thought one object okay so you're just kind of sitting there still in the moment I had um, geometric shape I had geometric shapes past like come come into the forefront of my eyes <clears throat> that I had not recognized before so it was a bunch of circles and then it was a um, a six-sided hexagon so it was like a hexagon with these different um, mm, different geometrical shapes within the hexagon. And I didn't recognize it. And so I, I thought that's interesting. I, I know I had been looking a little into, you know, the fabric of reality. And <clears throat> I remember, I had remembered hearing something about sacred geometry before, but I've never looked into it. So I, I posted this and then I got some responses and I, and I discovered, I've, I watched this bit, got turned on to this video. So I watched this video and wouldn't you know it before my eyes was the shapes and images on the video that I had seen in my, during my meditation time. And I thought that is fascinating for me. It was quite fascinating. It was, it was beautiful too. In the moment when I was seeing it, I just kept wanting to focus in on it, but I'm not that trained. I'm still very much an amateur when it comes to being able to focus um, I, my, you might call it astral sight or whatever. It's not my physical eyes, obviously, because my eyes are closed. So you're trying to focus in on something that you're seeing in the blackness. So these white, it's on black and it's these white geometrical images. But anyway, so I thought that was really fascinating. So now I'm starting to look in, I, like I'm all over the place. I'm looking into everything when I have time, but sacred geometry and how that's relates to the, um, to the fabric of reality. So how, have you guys ever heard anything like that? Before? I've got a long history with uh, looking into the esoteric and, you know, the alternative, uh, you know, ways of thinking and looking at reality like that, uh, you know, parasympathetic magic and all that kind of thing. And um, ast astral projection and the challenge of attentive awareness and being limited to a particular set of senses that we used to and there being a sixth sense related to intuition imagination that isn't just something that we construct in terms of our inner reality but it's actually a sense organ as well as understood within other cultures you know like within like buddhism's got a great elaboration of that and it's just been really interesting like i found it interesting over the years wrestling with a whole range of you know, experiences and teachings that people have along those lines and, and using 
almost a litmus test of going, you know, how, how do you, how do you confirm this kind of stuff within your own experience? And to what degree is there a, a base primal experience and to what degree is that connected to planetary framework behind it? And, and, and how helpful is that explanatory framework? You know, does the explanatory framework help enable that experience or depend on it or is it actually disconnected? And so, uh, you know, this is just a bit about the way my mind works. So I, I've really, I've really processed a lot of that kind of stuff and, and almost landed on the understanding that, that as human beings, we, we're definitely capable of a lot more than what we often experience within the world and the worldview that we have, which defines the world to us and, and provides us with the set limited number of experiences. And the challenge for, for anyone that wants to deconstruct and open up is often to go, well, the sky's the limit almost in terms of the, the, the permission slip, in terms, of, in terms of exploring and integrating other things in there. Overall, I think it, it, it raises a, a number of questions around, you know, the adventure that this life is and what is open for us. And, and when I look back, there's a lot of centrism, you know, like, like, like we believe that the earth was the center of the universe and we believe that the sun was the universe center. Then we believe that our, our universe was the center of the universe and was the only one. And so that kind of centrism has always been the case. And all the religions seem to fall into that. Either the emptiness in Buddhism is the one truth only or the, or the underlying Brahman within Hinduism, that's the one truth only. Or, or Christ as the son of God, that's the one truth only. You know, it ends up being often the framework that we've inherited and the difficult thing for for most for most of us is 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 how to shed that and end up seeing these as complementary truths and separate between what is available for us to experience and then the question of what do we make of it and if we experience it for ourselves will we make of it what has been made of it in the past because in most situations people use a singular experience to validate a whole philosophical framework that is completely incompatible with another philosophical framework that's been given to us, which in turn is also incompatible with another philosophical framework. And in some cases, you've got several frameworks laying hold of one experience and saying this one experience validates ours. And of course, they can't all. And so, so yeah, there's, you know, it ends up being particularly, it ends up being particularly challenging depending on how one approaches and how one gets into it. But a lot of that kind of experiences, you know, whether it's the out-of-body experiences or even dreams of meeting with the departed, people that have ended one form of life and continue in another form, and yet you can still meet with them and engage them. You know, there's there's a lot of that kind of stuff that that is definitely, it's it's there, it happens. And in very religious and fundamentalist circles, you know, often there's there's a carefully curated set of experiences that is deemed safe and true, and they hold up a, a larger framework. And then there's the denial of these other things that are out there. And I think anyone that, that, that deconstructs, you do open a journey. And, and part of the journey is, is, is the permission to completely reinvent beliefs, but without the sense that I've got to get those beliefs right. And so, you know, curiously, in retrospect, who was the first person who had the vision for the universe like we, like we describe it today? The first person I think recorded to have done that was Giordano Bruno. And of course, did he see the universe as we see it today? No, he didn't. He had a vision. <laughs> you know, if I look back in history and I, I take a look at forensic science today and you take a look at occultism, you know, if you wanted to curse someone, what did you need? You need their fingernails, their hair, or some sample of their blood. That's forensic occultism, you know, for lack of a better word. 
And so there's a lot of things like that, that I think that, that they tie together, but we don't know how to piece them together. Because if you get too stuck in the scientific thinking, again, you're cutting out a whole host of experiences that people do have. If you get two bucks within a particular religious narrative, again, you cut out a whole host of experiences. And I think the challenge for, for our day is almost to go, well, the sky is the limit. And we've inherited this phenomenal wealth of the spirituality of all the world's peoples. What do we do with it? And what do we do with it responsibly? But at the end of the day, how do we enter more deeply into our living and loving through that? So, yeah, not a direct answer to your question, by the way. But <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, I love these conversations are, are fascinating. And I wish that they happened more often and more easily among people. <laughs> but... They, I do, it's from in my little area where my little world, it's, it's uh, very rare to have this nice little interaction, this dialogue. So I appreciate Personally, it. I love these kind of things as well, you know, and I, I think that's one of the wonders about the internet is, is, is we're able to form some form of loose community and network without trying to artificially construct one and have a pseudo community that can just be very unhealthy, but to be able to have these kind of conversations because it's just so much more accessible. You know, here I am, here Steve is, we're on one side of the world. You're on completely another side. And yet we're able to, to interact and share these life experiences. And, you know, we're still in the beginning journey of getting to know each other, but I'm, I'm interested to see where these conversations are going to go in time, you know, and to see not only how we develop individually, but, but about the culture that's emerging, you know, because I, I really believe that there's a, there's a very post-religious, post-modern, you know, perhaps even the word post-secular culture of people that are leaving the narrow confines of the worldview that we've been in. And, and through the wonders of the internet, we're able to relate and we're able to relate around the world, you know, and, and we should be sharing the same ideas anyway. We wear the same clothes. We use the same technology. We're actually a culture. But we're not a geographically located culture or a, or a culture that's framed on a nationalistic identity, you know, anything like that. It, it, it's just a new opportunity in the world. And I think it's very much for me the future, you know, the, the global citizen, you know, the global world citizen, rather than the, 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 the global American or the global South African or, you know, or, or something else. It's actually, in my sense, my gut feel says it's a different, it's a different culture. And it's a culture that's going to call for a, a new approach to nationhood, a new approach to politics, a new approach to living as a humanity within this world with just a larger scope for and a larger value for the life of people and the value of people. I find myself ending up feeling quite vulnerable articulating that kind of stuff because in some senses it's just a it's potentially a pipe dream. But in another sense for me it's just a it's just a gut feel that I carry within myself that there's this there is this thing, there is this tribe. And it it, it has got an identity, but it's a tribe of individuals at the moment. It's a tribe of explorers. It's a tribe that is supported by its distance and by its passions and by its willingness to take that risk to go, I, I believe that this was the truth. But, but I'm sensing something else and I'm sensing that I'm being led on a different path and direction. And you know what, I'm up for that adventure. And sure, there's a number of explorers who, um, you know, whose footnotes do not dot any particular wonderful history book, right? Why? Because they died alone in the desert somewhere. <laughs> 
And that could be the fate of any one of us, but that doesn't mean that there isn't movement because people die within the safety of their civilizations as well. And you know what? They don't, they're not even footnotes in the history books either. For, for me, it's not, about, it's not about the safety or the, or the danger. It's, it's about the adventure, the adventure of living deeply into this life and passionately into it. You know? And, you know, I, I just, I, just I, I feel so privileged to connect with people who, who are willing to take that up, willing to go, you know, I, I pack my bags because this is the adventure that I'm on. I, I, I'm also aware that, uh, believe it or not, we've been going for, for over two hours now. <laughs> Oh, yes. And I, yeah, I hope that we've had a good, you know, that you're pleased with the conversation. <laughs> I, I know that, um, you know, that I've answered your questions and I just like connecting with you both, honestly. I just, I just enjoyed the connection. Likewise. Yeah. I wasn't sure what to expect or, or what was expected of me, but I'm glad it just was a nice flow and conversation and been enjoying getting to know the both of you well you're really getting to know me quite more <laughs> 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 yeah that's our privilege but i think that's that's part of the joy of these conversations for me is that i hardly ever know what to expect even with some of the people that i know before they come on for an episode to do a recording and, and even that is part of the adventure and just going isn't this great let's just explore and if it's uncharted territory, then that, you know, then that's great. Then then we'll map it up as we go. I could see how that would be kind of fun to anticipate and be excited about. Okay, not sure where this is gonna go. Explore it a little bit, and and I that's part of the fun of this human experience, really. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, connecting with you, you know, last time and and tonight. Thank you so much for being willing to share your story and your journey. And to do so vulnerably and authentically, you know, I, I really just count it as a privilege to to get to know people and to get to know you. And thank you for be, being willing to do it, do it even in the context of something that's going to be cut and shared with an audience. You know? Oh, you're, you're welcome. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Steve. I, I do appreciate it. I hope that we can continue to stay connected. Likewise. Yeah, I will look forward to another conversation like this. So thank you so much for your time and for sharing so openly, Julie.